All right. I just hit record. Yep. It says I'm recording. Okay. You're recording? Yes. Awesome. Yes. So we're ready to start. <laughs> okay. Let me put my face on. Okay. This is a representation of how gardening goes for us less. So that is why. <laughs> <laughs> we guard have, about as well as we do technology do you have a black thumb are you wondering what the word horticulture means are you a little bit seedy a little shady do you stand in the garden and wonder what the f am i doing do you look at people's yards and wonder what the f are they doing if so this podcast is for you no matter your gardening experience level I'm Shannon. And I'm Marcella, two friends who like to laugh and learn our way through life and gardening. Tune in as we interview some awesome people who talk to us about their love for plants, trees, gardens, bugs, and more. Welcome to CD and Shady AF, a sketchy gardening podcast. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Marcella. How's it going today? It's good. It's a little hot, but I was actually out a bit this weekend because it's less than, you know, triple digits. And so you can actually go outside without frying and be <laughs> more than seven inches from the sun. So it's not so bad. But yesterday was actually cool. I was um, out at one of our local nurseries and they had a thing called Society Saturdays. And uh, it was neat because there was different societies from all over Central Texas and Antonio area. So there are people from like different gardening clubs, people from the Goldfish and Koi Society, which was really cool. I got to have them on the podcast. People from different nonprofits. And there was also some people there from the San Antonio Zoo and the San Antonio Botanical Garden, which kind of leads into what our episode this week is about. Yeah. So in today's episode, we talked to Les Parks. He is the director of horticulture at the Norfolk Botanical Gardens. So pretty interesting to learn about his journey, all the different hats he's worn in his life that have led him to the position that he has now. This is one of our episodes that is split in two halves. So we'll be releasing the first half this week, and then you'll tune in next week for the second part. Yes. And another cool thing was uh, that I think that Marcella and Lesbo have the same alma mater. Yes, that's right. We both yeah. uh, graduated from Old Dominion. We actually had a couple commonalities. And then he's also from the same place in Virginia that my husband's from, Eastern Shore, Virginia, which I don't meet a lot of people from there. Very cool. So yes, yeah, so you're in for a treat. Um, like Marcella said, this is going to be uh, one part one of two. And this is also going to be our last two podcast for the season and we're going to take a little bit of a break so it's going to be a good one ending on a high note so with that sit back relax and enjoy um we always like to start at the very beginning so with that said what was your introduction to gardening how did you get into this realm i think it was probably genetic my parents were big gardeners um the part of virginia i'm from is the eastern shore it's very rural it's one side is the chesapeake bay the other side is the atlantic ocean and that's where i was born and everybody over there has a garden in their backyard and they canned and uh, put things up and i mean this was the early 60s okay. and then um my dad moved us to richmond which is uh, a pretty big city we lived in the suburbs but we still had a garden and he liked to grow fruit trees and he would come go go to the woods hunting and he'd come home with trees to plant in the yard and mom would do the flower beds. And I had a little patch of my own and I would do um, experiment with different vegetables. And I like to grow irises and sweet peas. And um, I think everybody in our neighborhood was 
from a rural part of the state. And so everybody uh, gardened, you know, it was a right, you know, pretty close to when there was the uh, diaspora from the rural areas into the cities. So people tried to carry on those traditions. Awesome. Let's, uh, what was one of the first things that you grew? Um, <laughs> well, I, I dug up irises from my mom and my neighbors because I, I heard how easy they were, like German bearded <laughs> irises. And then I always like to get interesting seeds. And I, I didn't always succeed uh, getting what I wanted. Like I, uh, I grew peppers one year. Um, that didn't work too well. Um, I grew sweet peas that lived for many, many years. Those did pretty good. Um, I found like, you know, marigolds were easy. Um, just a bunch of different things. Oh, very cool. It sounds like you like to uh, experiment. <laughs> I did. And um, I would try to bring stuff home from the woods too. Like if I see a cool fern or something, but I had no idea what I was doing. And I didn't know that you can't take a, a fern from deep in the woods and put it out <laughs> full sun. You know, you gotta, you gotta fail to learn, I think. That's fair. Um, also, I got really excited when you said Eastern Shore of Virginia. That's actually where my husband is from. What oh, county? Really? Yeah, what county did you grow up in? Um, well, I only I was born in Accomack and I only lived there till I was four. Um, okay. But my parents have retired and they moved back there. And in fact, that's where we spent Christmas. Oh, that's so, very cool. He's from Accomack County too. So that's pretty okay. funny. Yeah, so what that, a small that's world. Pretty, that yeah. is, a, now where, where are y'all located? So I am currently in North Carolina, but I go back and forth to Hampton Roads, Virginia. I grew up in the Hampton Roads area. Okay. Yep. And I'm, I'm in Central Texas. Okay. And I will say full disclosure, Les and Marcella, still to this day, when people say the Eastern Shore, I have no idea where that is, really. <laughs> and people say like, I'm from West Texas. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> um, so, you know, your bio uh, talked a little bit about you. I got your bachelor's degree from in sociology from Old Dominion University. Right. So how was that mm -hmm. transition to landscape design and horticulture? Um, I'm not so sure trans, trans um, Related to landscape design, it did translate to working with people. Um, mm -hmm. which, you know, horticulture is plants, but it's also working with people. So I, I think it helped me a lot in working with a lot of different people um, throughout my careers. And um, I think it helped me with management too, because basically I'm a horticultural manager um, right now. So, okay. so. That's another commonality we have less. I'm also a graduate of Old Dominion University, but I got my degree oh. in psychology. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I started in uh, political science, but um, the first couple of classes chewed me up and spit me out. And I said, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I actually, my undergrad is in political science. So there you go. It all comes full circle. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I enjoyed the classes and I think uh, just, it was pretty broad education. It wasn't very specific. So it, it yeah. has served me well. Next um, aspect of your um, bio talks about um, getting certified in landscape design. So can you tell us a little bit about what that entails? Yeah, um, I'll go back a little bit. I was working right during college and then right after college, I worked in the hotel um, industry. I worked at different resorts and different hotels. And um, the good news is there was never a dull moment. And the bad news is there was never a dull moment. And, um, <laughs> So about that time, like towards the end of my career, my wife and I bought our first house and I kind of reconnected with gardening and I really fell hard for it. And I wanted to learn more. So after working all day, I, start, I said, well, I'll just start taking some night classes. And they, I couldn't get a basic horticulture degree because they, they, all the classes locally were in the um, 
at the community college during the daytime. So, but I saw this ad for landscape design uh, from George Washington University. They had a, they had a satellite campus um, in Hampton. So I started going there and um, I just, I loved it and um, learned all kinds of things, um, you know, how to draw, how to write. I had to learn how to write again because, you know, the, the, the teacher wanted everybody to write like an architect does. Um, lots of plan ID and they were sticklers for botanical uh, nomenclature. Um, which served me really well too, because I, I didn't learn the common names of a lot of things. I learned the uh, botanical names and then of course how to spell them. Um, and then about that time, the hotel where I was working was um, purchased and became a franchise and I lost my job, but they gave me a really nice severance package. And I said, you know, if you've got to work 40 hours a week or more, you might as well do something you really love. And I said, I'm going to go see if I can get a job at a nursery. And I had that severance package that I knew I could fall back on if the money wasn't good. And uh, so I started working at garden centers and um, loved it. And that was that was the beginning of my horticulture career. Very interesting trajectory, for sure. Yeah. How long did the um, landscape design certification take you? Um, it was a about a year and a half program. Okay. Gotcha. And it, it was just every there. You could only do one class at a time, just because it was um, they were at night, and it was. But it was good. And, and interestingly, the plan ID was taught at the botanical gardens where I now work, and I had no idea that I would ever work there. And it was taught by the former director of horticulture, and I couldn't even imagine that I would have had her job, um, you know, thirty years later. So. The, it was good. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty amazing how everything kind of just came full circle, you know, how the sociology yes. degree really tied into what you do in horticulture and then, you know, you worked in the resorts and then got laid off and it kind of led you to this path. And so it just, it's it's really awesome to see how that kind of all came about. Mm -hmm. So you've been doing uh, landscape design and horticulture of some sort for about 30 years, you said? Yeah, mostly retail. Uh, the, the beginning was mostly retail garden center. And then um, in 2012, I started working at the Botanical Garden and making the switch from um, a retail garden center where you're just trying to get through to the next quarter to public horticulture and uh, at a botanical garden where you're planning for the next 10 and 20 years. Um, it, it, that, that was a learning curve for me because things move glacially slow at the botanical gardens when anybody had to make a decision because you're spending someone else's money it's not really your property. And there's a board of directors that have to um, oversee everything. So that took a little bit of a mind shift. And I, I understand it now, but it was frustrating for about the first uh, nine months or so. <laughs> I can only imagine. We, I, I can definitely relate to that, um, being frustrated uh, with the job. <laughs> but, you know, so you talked a little bit about the landscape design and Marcella asked you questions about the certification, but I want to know what is the, like, what, what is the most ambitious landscaping project you've ever embarked on? Um, I would say that it was probably, and I didn't, I didn't start it or generate it, but it was probably a big project we had at the Botanical Gardens. Um, we had a, an old observation tower that was built in the 1960s and we don't have hills here. So they dredged a canal and built a hill out of the dredgings from the canal and they built, a, built an observation tower on top of it. So that was early 1960s. It's called NATO Tower because it's Norfolk's the home of uh, NATO in North America. So. Mm -hmm. 
the hill was falling down when I started working there. And I, I, I was in charge of the area. I couldn't get anybody to even, any of my employees wouldn't even work there. So the hillside <laughs> was rampant with invasives because it was really, it was dangerous. That's so finally true. we got money to get the tower restored and get the hillside uh, rebuilt. And it had to be geoengineered with special soil. There was terraces, we used gabion walls. It was really the most engineered piece of nature I've ever seen in my life. And it, it left us with only four inches of planting soil in a lot of spots with a with the high end of only 18 inches. And we weren't allowed to put any irrigation on it because irrigation would ruin the geo soil underneath of it. So we had a really talented landscape designer at the garden at the time. And he said, well, let's make it a Mediterranean garden because they don't need a lot of water. It's on a hillside. We won't have to irrigate it. And um, we're at such a an odd part of the state where zone eight so that lets us do some things that a lot of the rest of the part of the state can't grow because we're so much warmer it really turned out nice and it was a real team effort it, it took our facilities department to oversee the construction horticulture to get all the planning done the designer I mean, we were training boulders in too so it was quite something and it's really turned out spectacular how long was that whole project from beginning to end that was about a year and a half and um, we use it as a teaching moment too. So even our education department's involved. So we've got signage that explains how the hillside was created, but we also have signage about Mediterranean climates around the world. So we've got uh, plants on there from California, obviously plants from the Mediterranean. We've got plants from Chile and South Africa. We've tried a few things from Australia, but Australian plants hate our humidity here in the summer. They just, they just wither and die. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a follow-on question because when I heard you say Mediterranean garden, all, my head immediately went to wine. So can you tell us a little bit about, <laughs> about, about what a Mediterranean garden is? <laughs> so Marcella's, Marcella's mind went to wine. Mine was olives. I don't know why, but yeah, please explain that. Well, we have actually have olives growing there. Um, oh, cool. But a, a Mediterranean climate is a climate that's basically dry in the summertime and it gets their moisture in the wintertime. And the plants have to have, you know, they have to be able to withstand that dry period. And, and there's certain areas around the world that are like that, like parts of coastal California, parts of Chile, parts of South Africa, parts of Australia, and then all around the Mediterranean. Um, so we can grow those plants if we can provide them the drainage. Now we, we get Typically, we get regular rainfall throughout the year, so it's really critical in a climate like this to grow those plants that you have absolutely good and perfect drainage, because otherwise things will just die. We usually lose things in the summertime here. We don't usually lose things in the wintertime. Kind of going along with that question of the most ambitious landscaping project you've ever embarked on, what's the most impressive landscaping job you've ever seen? I can. I don't want to pick one. I, I can say there's probably about four that I did, that I thought were life changing for me, and, and one was the High Line in New York City because they took something that you would never think a garden would grow on, and it's spectacular, and it goes right through the heart of, of New York City. I'd also say probably my favorite overall public garden is is probably Chanticleer in um, outside of Philadelphia. It's just they're doing spectacular horticulture there. And each of their gardens is a gem in itself. Last year, I, I had never been to California before. And last year, I got to go on a trip to California through work. And we got to go to Lotus Land. And that was, uh, that was like being on another planet. Oh, and um, this summer, I, I'd say the last one I would say 
that I thought was really a beautiful garden was the Bloedale Reserve up in um, Washington State on Bainbridge Island. So I got to see that back in June. And that was that was incredible, too. Shannon, did you take notes of that? I feel like I need to take notes because I want to look up these gardens now. <laughs> Actually, I was gonna I was gonna say we definitely have to get the name of all these wonderful places and then yeah. put them in the show notes because now I'm super curious as to what they all look like. <laughs> Hi there. Seed in the shade here with some interesting facts about the High Line in New York City. The High Line was originally an elevated rail line created in response to the dangerous conditions for pedestrians at the street-level crossings in Manhattan. 10th Avenue became known as Death Avenue because by 1910, more than 500 people had been killed by trains. After initially using men on horseback to protect pedestrians from the trains, an elevated train line was commissioned during the 1920s. By 1933, the first trains ran on the High Line, which was then called the West Side Elevated Line. Between the 1960s and 1980s, train use dwindled due to the rise in trucking. The High Line then fell into disuse and became an eyesore for many residents of Manhattan. Throughout the years, there were talks of demolition and of preservation. Then in the early 2000s, it was decided that it should become a public park space. In 2009, the first section of the High Line opened to the public. Today, the High Line is one continuous one and a half mile long greenway featuring 500 plus species of plants and trees. So, the High Line might be a place worth visiting next time you're in New York City. Until next time. And so now we, we kind of talked a little bit about what you did prior to joining the Norfolk Botanical Gardens. And you said that you worked in retail, but you mm -hmm. said that you enjoyed matching people to plants. Can you talk a little bit about that process? How do you go about matching a person to a plant? First of all, I'll say that the, the last garden center I worked, I worked there for 16 years. And I started off as nursery manager and then I was the general manager. And it was well known in the area and outside the area for carrying really unusual things. But you could also get, you know, something as boring as a firepower Nandina or a Japanese holly, but you could get all kinds of other crazy things. And the reason that we were able to do that is because our landscaping department pulled from the retail garden center when they needed plants. So we were able to carry things that regular garden centers couldn't. And we would get the plant geeks would come in there and I would love talking to them and we would geek out on different things and we would say, well, what have you tried and what haven't you tried? And if they were really adamant that something would grow here, I would order it in the next time I was getting a truck in. So I love talking to those people and they would come in and they, some of them would know exactly what they want and they would come and find it. And, and then we had people who were newbies, but they were enthusiastic, you know, young couples who had just gotten their first house and they want to, they really want to get into gardening. So I would talk to them to try to find out what level of engagement that they might be interested in. You know, if, if they really sounded enthusiastic, I would give them something that might, or try to sell them something that might be a little more challenging, a little more unusual, but maybe not too bad. And then we had people who said, I just want curb appeal. I don't care. Uh, you know, I'm going to be on the Outer Banks all summer long or on my boat. Uh, it's got to be something that's not going to die. And so those people, I would sell the things that I know were, were dead simple and you were, they weren't going to, to, to fail with. So no matter who I was selling to, I always wanted to make sure that they were successful because that meant we would have a happy customer and we would have a, a repeat customer. Yeah, it's all about talking. So. The, the, the biggest challenge was trying to get the high school kids who work for me to have that kind of enthusiasm. <laughs> 
Well, it sounds like you were able to definitely use your sociology background and kind of, yeah. you know, reading people and kind of talking to them and understanding kind of what their wants and needs and then, you know, prescribing kind of a good plant for those people. See, your high school students needed the sociology classes all. That's oh, that's all. right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So this next question Shannon came up with, and I'm pretty sure it's a quote from something from before I was born. But we mm -hmm. just wanted to know, when you worked in retail, did you ever have a blood for thirsty plant that talked and asked, feed me more, see more? They never said that. They only, um, <laughs> they only I did have some plants talk to me and that all they wanted to do was to come home with me. And um, so <laughs> I listened to most of them, even though I didn't know where I was going to put them, I would bring them home and then I would just sort of shoehorn a place for them in the garden. There are some plants that are probably evil. They don't. I don't know if they're bloodthirsty, but I, like I can't stand barberries because they have thorns that don't hurt when you brush into them. But later on, you get these um, like it's really disgusting. These little pus filled pimples be where the thorns are stuck in you there. Yeah, they're and they're really painful at that point. Um, I can't stand junipers either because they give me um, contact dermatitis. Oh, goodness. Well, you know, first of all, stat, we have to make sure I have to do my public service of making sure that Marcella watches that movie. <laughs> what movie is it i'm gonna i'm gonna make you go find out okay all right I'll that's your homework that is your okay. homework for tonight is to go figure out what that's from and watch that movie no okay. at the um at the botanical garden somebody gifted us a um, a giant philodendron a monster leaf philodendron and he called it seymour but i don't think he paid close attention to the movie because Seymour was not the name of the plant. Not the name of the plant, right? <laughs> we, we, we stuck with it because it was part of the donation, but it's an enormous thing. And we finally found a place where we don't have to move it because it, it's a pain to move. Well, we'll have to see if we can get a picture of Seymour and put it up and let everybody see kind of what he looks like. <laughs> and so um, you're, you talked a little bit about it, but can you tell us a little bit more about your current job at the Norfolk Botanical Gardens and how long you've been there and what's the mission of the Botanical Gardens? I'm the director of horticulture there, and I've been there since 2012. I started off as the uh, curator of herbaceous plants, so which sounds like a really highbrow job, but basically I was managing other people who were managing gardens, which is what I do now. I've got about 35 people that I work with in the horticulture department. That includes most of our horticulturists who manage the different gardens. We've got 175 acres. We've got 60 themed gardens. Also have people in my department who run our propagation department. We do a lot of propagating there. Uh, under horticulture, we have a grounds department, which manages all the turf and the water features. Some, there are some really great people. I've got people who are passionate about a lot of different things. We've got people who are crazy about mushrooms, people who are nuts about insects, people who are really into native plants. So between everybody that works there, we have a really good, uh, I guess, a collection of knowledge. And I learn something from my people every single day, which, which is great. And I, I love working with them. I try to make it as much of a team effort as possible instead of a top-down, which, because I've worked for both, and I really, I think the collaborative works much better. This has been the Seedy and Shady AF Podcast. Thanks to all the peas in our pod for listening. We believe in you and we believe in your plants. Follow us for more shenanigans on Instagram at Seedy and Shady Pod. Until next time, stay seedy, stay shady. And remember, sketchy gardening is still gardening. <laughs>